special edition of our show, Her Story on the Rocks. Typically, Katie and I would be sitting here drinking cocktails and talking about famous women in history, but sometimes we like to talk to women who are writing about history. We have a very special guest here with us today, Helen Irwin. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. It's great. Helen is an author of historical novels, and they feature some pretty amazing characters like Harriet Tubman. Today, she's here to talk with us about her newest book, Sour Milk in Sheep's Wool. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, I'm originally from Sweden, and this fall, I have been in the United States for 30 years, which, and I came here in my 20s, so you can do the math. And uh, <laughs> It's kind of unbelievable that I've been here so long. Uh, and uh, yeah, I uh, grew up in Sweden. Uh, I came here in, uh, in the early 90s. And my book is set in southern Sweden. So uh, it's been kind of nostalgic for me to write about my homeland and specifically the southern part of Sweden where I'm from. And um, see, what else can I say about myself? When I don't write, uh, I love to run. And, uh, and I often listen to podcasts when I run. Yeah, I'm, I'm the runner on our show too. And obviously I love podcasts. So we're two peas in a pod here, running and podcasts. <laughs> oh, great. It's good if you keep running the same route uh, and you get bored with it. And uh, like the pandemic made me run the same route back and forth because I didn't want to travel to another place. Mm. So then podcasts were re they're really my... Uh, you know, it helps with the boredom of the same scenery. Oh, so, absolutely. Yeah. And it's so nice because it's free. I remember like beginning of the pandemic being like, wow, we are really blessed to be in this time in history going through this, that we have all this free information. Yes, absolutely. That's so true. Absolutely yeah. true. Mm. So we are always drinking with our books. Are you a big cocktail person or no? I love wine. Uh, I can definitely drink a glass of wine. Uh, but the characters in my book, and this is very interesting that this is history on the rocks or her story on the rocks, I should say, because there's drinking in my book. And one, one of my characters, she loves to drink coffee with a little uh, vodka in it. And in Swedish, it's called brennvin. Uh, but the interesting part is that my other character, she was a temperance woman and they didn't drink and that's actually what started the women's rights movement or one of the things that started the women's rights movement but she personally Hannah is this character she she kind of resented the fact that uh, she couldn't drink because the thinking was really that you shouldn't drink because uh, men became unreasonable if they were too drunk so that's why uh, women's rights activists, they join, join the temperance movement to have a way to control their marriages. And so she did that and she, she felt very strongly about this. But at home, she said, you know, I'm going to have a glass of wine. I'm going to drink something. It's not fair. You know, just because men can't handle it, that doesn't mean that I shouldn't, mm -hmm. I shouldn't drink. So let's have a glass of wine. Awesome. So when we yeah. post the episode, we'll have one coffee vodka, which sounds delicious, and I would adore. And then we'll do a shout out to temperance and wine. <laughs> yes, that sounds perfect. Absolutely perfect. 
All right. So before we dive super deep into your book, let's talk about the setting. What is the world like in 20th century Sweden for women? It was tough. Uh, they had no rights, really. Uh, and one of my main characters um, is my great-grandmother, uh, who was an unwed mother. And um, she had her first child in 1889. And um, she um, left her village to have um, to have her child in another town uh, in Lund, and um, she. It was very shameful. Uh, it was not accepted. Uh, it was something that her religious community very much frowned upon. Um, she um, she had her child, and uh, I'm going to spoil the plot just a little. And her, her parents uh, took care of the baby after she stayed in Lund at a home for unwed mothers, first to give birth to her baby, and then while she breastfed it. And then they took care of the baby. She stayed in Lund and she um, tried to start her life over. But women, this is so shameful that women couldn't get married again if they had been if they weren't virgins. Oh. It was illegal until 1921. No way, illegal? Yeah, it was illegal. It was oh, illegal. I didn't know that. Yeah, and so that really gives you a perspective of how, how catastrophic this was. And this is not to say that your husband could forgive you if you were honest and they said, you know, they say, yes, I know this woman isn't a virgin. I will still marry her. So it didn't mean they could never ever get married or that no one could ever get married. But if you didn't have an understanding husband or fiance, then you were done, you were labeled. And all the church books have these records. This is how I could do research on my great grandmother because it's all recorded. And she, I'm not gonna tell you how many children she had, but let me say it's more than three. And if you picture her having these children and starting in 1889, and with that law in mind, it was not easy for her and uh, for any woman. And there were a lot of superstitions against women who had uh, children out of wedlock. Um, I'll give off a little more of the plot here too. Um, if a woman was unmarried and gets near somebody else's child, uh, that child would grow up uh, bow-legged. Or if a woman was pregnant and there was a woman, an unmarried woman near this woman, this child could be born bow-legged. But only if the woman didn't tell, tell her that she wasn't married. And we now know, of course, it's, it's, and it was rickets and it's vitamin D deficiency. Right. But there were superstitions against, the, against unwed mothers. It was very serious and um, very, very hard. And so what I wanted to do with my book, set in Southern Sweden, like I said earlier, and what I wanted to do was to show how women, women in Sweden lived through this horrible time, but there were women who were fighting against this. Mm. And now it gets really even more interesting because the women who were women's rights activists, the temperance women, 
they were also very concerned with pregnancy, but they were really against birth control. Uh, first of all, it was illegal or it, it was very radical, I should say. It did become illegal a little later. Uh, in 1910, it became illegal to inform people about birth control. But uh, it was um, temperance women. The reason they were didn't want men to drink, one of the reasons was that they thought that it's simple. The men were too drunk. If they were too drunk, they, they couldn't reason with them. And they couldn't tell them, look, you know, let, let's not have sex right now. It's, I just had a baby, I'm still breastfeeding and sometimes breastfeeding helps so you don't get pregnant, but not always, or my, my child is still young and I wanna wait. And they were too drunk and they, they, they were too strong and they, they, couldn't, they couldn't say no, they couldn't reason with them. So one of the reasons that um, they were against drinking was because they wanted more control in their marriage. They wanted to space space the pregnancies. They wanted uh, to have money for their household instead of having the man drink it up. Right. And so this started, the women's rights movement started with this, but at the same time, having sex with and using birth control was considered so, so radical. It was not accepted. And uh, most feminists were against it. And, um, they, their thinking was that um, if, if you do have, if there is birth control, men will take advantage of women and they will leave them and they're no longer virgins. And if worse comes to worse, then uh, they're pregnant and left alone. Wow. Which is interestingly similar to some political thinking of today in the United States, right? Yeah, it's interesting. Not a lot of this is too far off base. I know when we're talking about this happening in the 1920s, I know Katie, my typical co-host, her biological aunt um, got pregnant in the 50s in the United States and went to a home while she was pregnant in order to give birth, you know, in mm -hmm. Maryland, in the U.S. in the 50s. And then I, um, my daughters and I, we love the show Gilmore Girls, which, you know, came out in the 90s and 2000s. And they watch it with me now. And they're like, I don't get it. Why do the people treat her like that? And I'm like, well, you know, it's very recent that women could have children and not be married and not be a stigma to society. Yes, it really is. It really, really is. Yeah, it's fascinating. And, and it's, it's very interesting too, when I tell people uh, about my book and when then I well, sometimes I tell them how many children my great-grandmother had, and it wasn't with the same father either. And people are usually very taken aback. And sometimes they say, oh, she must have been very lusty. And then I tell them, well, there were no access to birth control. And it's, you know, what, what, what kind of thought does that, what does that tell us about women's sexuality? that in, in today's age, that's the first thing people say is, oh, but I, I do understand that it is surprising that somebody could have several children without being married at that time, but there must've been reasons for it. 
Right. And it's almost like, well, she's obviously having relationships with men who are either unmarried or married to someone else. So Mm -hmm. we just can't track that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So let's talk a little bit more about kind of your two main characters. You've got Annette and Hannah, correct? Mm -hmm. And they're living really, what? Yes, that's correct. Absolutely. And they're living two like really separate lives, right? We have an unwed mother of multiple children with different fathers. And Mm -hmm. we have a like suffragette of the temperance movement. What's the connection between these women? Um, That will come toward the end of the book. And I would spoil too much of the plot if I tell you that. Um, But I can can say that I wanted to show the difference because I'm very fascinated by women living in the same time period but living almost as if they were separated by time Mm. or living in completely different uh, uh, what do you call it what's the word Uh, uh, dimensions is what I'm looking for yeah yeah Um, but Hannah had her own cafe she was a businesswoman Uh, she hired a baker and a male baker uh, which was rather uh, controversial at the time. Lisa was unusual. And so uh, she had her had her bakery. Uh, and when it closed for the night, she invited her temperance women friends to come and discuss uh, women's rights and um, women's issues. Mm. And um, so she was very active. She was very, very passionate about her beliefs. And um, Uh, There's a lot of interesting um, details about the Swedish suffrage movement and the right to vote. Um, And uh, men couldn't vote yet either. Not all men could vote until 1909. So uh, it was, um, that's an interesting fact that not everybody knows. And uh, so there was a debate if women should just work for general voting rights for men and women, or if they should work just for themselves. And so there's a lot of interesting discussions at her cafe in the evenings and all her women friends come and they don't all agree with each other. And, um, but she's very firm in her beliefs. She knows, she knows what she thinks of things and uh, she sticks to it. And um, yeah. I think that's incredible because one of the next questions I was going to ask you is, do you know of any similarities between the suffrage movement in the United States and the one that's happening simultaneously in Sweden? And it seems that that is similar to what was happening here, right? Women are attempting to get the right to vote, but then also minority citizens, right? We're looking at our African-American citizens, our Hispanic citizens, and they can't vote either. And there was a big disagreement among the women of who do we include or do we just fight for ourselves? Yes, that's very, very similar. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a, that's well said. It's very true. Yeah. And then do, about what time, because white women in the United States end up getting the right to vote like 1919, 1920. Is it similar in Sweden or did it take longer? Uh, women got the right to vote in 1919 and they actually voted for the first time this year. Uh, which is why my book came out in nineteen uh, in two thousand twenty one. It's the hundredth anniversary. In September was the first time they went to the voting booth and physically voted for the first time. Really? Yes. Why is that? Well, it's, there just wasn't an election, so you know they the 
the decision went through and okay. they got the right to vote. They found out, yes, you're allowed to vote now. And then the next election in <laughs> 1921 uh, right. was when they went to the voting booth. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. yeah. Were there any um, like famous historic characters that you really like wove into your story, either physically or just the sense of them? Uh, yes, there were... Um, I can say Hannah and her uh, women friends were very influenced by Emily Ratu, who was a Swedish temperance movement, uh, temperance activist and uh, women's rights activist. And she was the one that first started speaking about uh, alcohol abuse, domestic violence, and women not having control in their marriages due to men drinking too much. Uh, and then, and this comes towards the end of the book, and I think this is very relevant for the American readers, was Elise Utesen Jensen, who was the co-founder of International Planned Parenthood. And she is amazing, or she was amazing. She died in 1973. But um, uh, she uh, is Norwegian-Swedish. She was born in Norway, and she came to Sweden, and um, she um, started to lecture about uh, contraceptives in 1923. And this is interesting. In 1910, there was a man called Hinke Bergegren who held two speeches, one for women and one for men. And, where, and he held a speech called Love Without Children. It was unbelievably controversial. And he described uh, different methods of contraceptives. And he, um, he said like, you know, his motto was, let me see if I can remember this, uh, love, without children is better than children without love. And there were a lot of people coming to, to these speeches and he, he held one for men uh, and then the next day he held one for women or might've been vice versa, but uh, he was arrested. And because of that, there was a law called Lex Hinke uh, after his name, Hinkebergren, uh, and it became illegal to uh, spread information about contraceptives. So that was in 1910. And this law lasted until 1948. But Elise, yeah, Elise Utsen Jensen, she was very upset about this. And her mother had 18 children. And she, she could see what it does to a woman when you have 18 children. So she lectured publicly starting in 1923, when it's been illegal for since 1910 to do this. And not only did she hold lectures and about sexuality and uh, about um, contraceptives, she fitted women with diaphragms uh, after her lectures, even in outhouses or in the back of cars. And um, she was, she's wonderful. And, um, and, you know, she's part of my book toward the end, but I'm sure you can imagine if my great-grandmother had many children without the access to birth control, Elisa Woodson Jensen had a big influence on her. And um, so I think she's probably the most interesting person for the American audience, I think. But there's another woman too uh, that's very interesting who uh, Frida Stenhoff, 
and she was the first woman who used the term feminist, feminism and feminist in Sweden. Uh, and not until 1903 was that word used, which is interesting. Mm. And, uh, that is crazy. Helped. I mean, listen, I have two kids and I'm a crazy person, so I cannot <laughs> imagine. <laughs> Can you imagine 18 children? No, no, I, I literally cannot. I can barely yeah. keep control of my two. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is, it, it's just, it, it really puts things into perspective, what life really was without birth control. Right. And how, how it was. We take it for granted. But if you had a child every year, you got married maybe when, at that time when you were 18, 19, you yeah. can... You know, until in your forties, it's 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 crazy. And it's I lot. mean, no wonder you don't want your husband to drink. I'd be like, stop drinking and get off me. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I don't want, yes, I don't want to have another really baby. Stop drinking and get off me. I can't right now. It's too much. Right. And, uh, God. <laughs> yeah, and and it's it's interesting also in my book because there is this conflict. Some of the women of Hannah's friends, who they were, there's a debate one of the scenes in my book is a debate between the feminists where they're discussing this lecture from 1910 and two of the women went to this lecture and some of the women in her women's rights group they're horrified because it was so controversial they said why are you going there that's insane we're for suffrage why are you going this, this is not appropriate and then there are other women that no, this is very important, and it, this has to do with our rights. Haven't we spoken about this before, about why we don't want men to drink? But it was still, so it's, it, as a writer, that's very nice to get into this and to the headspace of the women and the different thinking. And Yeah, it's very gritty when you have a, a group split up into its own factions. Yes, it is. Yeah. It is. Thank you. So... When you were doing your research for this book, did you get to travel back to Sweden or were you using archives? Did you find anything interesting? You alluded a little bit at the beginning to your research. Yes, um, well, all of it, I should say. Uh, I can tell you I started writing this book a long time ago and then I put it aside. Uh, so it's so long ago that I started writing it before the internet existed. So I did travel to Sweden. I went to the library uh, in Sweden and I got a lot of reading done um, in Sweden from all my library books. I had some books sent uh, to the library here in New York City because you can get them on interloan. Right. And then I put this book aside, which in hindsight was really good because now we have the internet. So now I can, uh, I can research and, and double check all my facts. Because one of the things that I do is I write, and as I write, I think of something. Oh, wait, wait. Oh, wait, did they have coffee? Let me Google this. And then, then I get sent into a, down a rabbit hole of in historical facts. I have to double check and check. <laughs> so in that sense, the internet has helped a lot. Um, and also what's really has been very, very timely is that since it is the 100th anniversary, the decision went through in 1919. So in 2019, there were already a lot of information on the internet or even the year before that the anniversary is coming up. And there are websites now dedicated to this from the government. So I have, have had really good sources to double check all my facts. 
So yeah, and it, was... it seems it seems pretty amazing too that this book coming out with the hundredth anniversary, and also as you said, it's kind of similar to a lot of things that are happening in the news right now. Did you feel a lot of pressure publishing this like at this time in history? It, no, it's interesting. It it was clearly meant to be because my book was ready, and the the last planning of releasing it this summer was because it was a hundred years since women uh, went to the voting booth. Uh, so that was planned, but the rest of it kind of just fell into place. And I had no idea that Texas <clears throat> would do, have their new law just now uh, with the six weeks pregnancy after have banning abortion after six weeks. That was, that was, unbelievable it's right. horrible time timing i mean it makes my book very relevant but it is shocking and so there was it no is i just got goosebumps it it's crazy time. yeah <laughs> yeah no i do too i do too and especially since elise Olsen jensen is in it and she would have turned over in her grave i mean she really would have so right. And, um, but uh, just to go back for a minute, um, I have traveled back. Uh, Lund, where um, a lot of the book is set, is uh, a beautiful city, which is about an hour or so uh, from my hometown, Helsingborg. And it's a beautiful, beautiful college town. It's, it's gorgeous. And my own hometown, Helsingborg, is also part of the book at the very end. So that was wonderful. Uh, it's, it's really nice to have that. That's great. It's always great when I get to hear nice travel stories. When people write books, we interviewed a, a woman one time who traveled to Antarctica to write her book. Oh, wow. I was like, that's wow. insane. That's amazing. Wow. Wow. That's, I was like, that's more exotic than Man. Southern Sweden for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's cool though. I'm like, yeah, I'm between DC and New York pretty much every day of my life. There's nothing else but that. Oh, but it's a pretty amazing place here too, but yeah. Oh, it is. It yeah. is. <laughs> so let's just, was there a piece that you loved to write? Like your favorite piece that like a chapter or a space in your book that you could have just like spent years rewriting that chapter because you just wanted to get it perfect. And sometimes it could be the hardest piece to write is the one you love the most. Yeah. Oh, wow. There's so many pieces like that. Um, um, let me see what I can say. Um, well, there's, hmm, let me, let me just think of this for one oh, minute. Take your time. Take, take your time. Thing. We yeah, can cut you. it out. <laughs> um, well, I can say this, especially since, um, well, we all know that women got the right to vote already so I'm not spoiling anything so uh there's a scene at the end of the book or it's not really at the end of the book but it's towards the end of the book when uh, and this is something I like to do too in my book the just the technology is changing during this time because the book my book spans between 1889 until 1926 so the telephone came during this time so in 1919 on uh, the the decision went went through May twenty fourth, and Hannah was at home, and the telephone rings, 
and the important say telephone and that phone, the telephone rang. So she runs and answers it and somebody is squealing. And at first she doesn't understand who it is. And then she, she understands it's a woman she met at a voting rights demonstration. And the woman is just screaming like, we won, we won, we won. And then Hannah just collapsing because it's finally, they worked so hard for this. And then, then her husband comes running in and um, then they leave the house and they drive in their car to her bakery. And then the time has passed. So she has employees in her bakery and they're out there and they're putting up Swedish flags and suffrage flags. And she runs inside and, and she's emotional and all the women that gather there. And it's, it's a very emotional scene. I actually still get goosebumps from writing this. And I did rewrite that scene several times and, and I thought about the little details and yeah, it, it's a nice scene. And um, it was- that sounds beautiful. It sounds beautiful. Like I, I can't imagine the joy of something that you've worked on for years with, I mean, no light at the end of the tunnel to finally come to fruition. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, that's true. It was a lot of work, but it, it really was a joy and so interesting. And it's given me such a appreciation for what our foremothers have done for us. Mm, for and sure. Yeah. So let's tell our listeners, where can they find you? Where can they find this book? Where can they find your other books? Because this book came out over the summer. So now they can get it for everybody they know for Christmas to, for the reading list. Thank you. Um, they can go to a local bookstore and ask for it there. Uh, I will be very happy if they go and they already have it there. They may have to ask for it uh, and then they can order it. Uh, Barnes & Noble has it and it's on Amazon and uh, they can find me at HelenIrwin.com uh, on, he rather on HelenIrwin.com. <laughs> HelenIrwin.com. Uh, yeah. Well, thank um, you so much for being here with me today. It's been such a blast talking to you. And this book is, like you said, it was meant to be this time in history, the hundred year anniversary and all the other, you know, new laws and restrictions we're dealing with. This is just the perfect timing. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. It, it is. It, it's, it's an interesting coincidence for sure. Hmm. Well, thank you for being here. I had such a blast talking to you and I can't wait to keep in touch for your next book. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. listening to her story on the rocks we are independently produced by 1986 entertainment and proudly recorded in baltimore maryland if there's a woman in history you would like us to cover you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com you can also message us on twitter or instagram we post all of our cocktail recipes on tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us see you next week bye